So if you have a Bible and you want to open it up to Exodus uh, chapter 27, we're going to start there this morning. God is, is giving some instructions to a guy named Moses, and uh, this is what he says. He says, build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high, and it's to be square, five cubits long, five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the altar are of one piece and overlay the altar with bronze. Make all of its utensils of bronze, uh, its pots to remove the ashes and its shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. It's a barbecue. Make a grating for it, a bronze network, and make a bronze ring at each of the four corners of the network. Put it under the ledge of the altar so that it is halfway up the altar. Make poles of acacia wood for the altar and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the rings so they will be on two sides of the altar when it is carried. Make the altar hollow out of boards and it is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. So what's going on here is um, God's people are, are in the desert. God has set them free. He's released them from slavery. He's set them free from Egypt. And now he has taken them through this, that what ends up being 40 years of refinement and instruction. And at this point, God says, look, you need to build first uh, something called a tabernacle, which is essentially like a big tent where God's presence is going to dwell. And then within the tent, God starts giving instructions for certain things to be a part of the tent. And so he gets to this thing called the altar, and, and all of that explain, is pretty self-explanatory, but let me show you a picture of what that altar is. Um, you know, there's some gaps that we need to fill in, but if you followed all those instructions pretty literally, this is what you would get. The horns on the corner, the poles for carrying it, because then, remember, they're carrying this through the desert. You know, so every day it has to be picked up and, and carried somewhere else, or not every day, but every so often. It's got to be mobile, right? And what we're going to do is talk a little bit about this altar today. And I, I want to tell you, I really wanted an altar. I was like, this would be really cool, but I couldn't get one. So I got sort of the next best thing that I had accessible in my world, which is uh, an old fire pit that I had around my house. And um, I just want to kind of like set this in front of us so that we kind of remember that we're talking about something physical for a while. Now, why was this important? Um, this was important to God and to his people for the reason that there are different ways of knowing something. There is a purely intellectual, explanatory way of knowing something, but there's also something called embodied knowing, experiential knowing. And this is what God is getting at with this thing called the altar. And if you don't know what this looks like, for any of you guys who are married or who have ever been uh, in a relationship, uh, especially this sometimes happens with guys, you might be interacting with your wife and she would say, I just need to know that you love me. And I had a friend of mine who's like, why would you not know that? I told you that seven times a day. What that is is an example of God, hey, I explained it to you. I told you I loved you. But the, the, his wife was saying, no, 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 I need to hear that and feel that in my spirit, not just like 
well, I told you, I spoke the words. Isn't that enough? And she's like, no, I need whatever, time, or I need service. You know, different people experience love in different ways. That's an example of embodied knowing. It's one thing to say, hey, I love you. It is another thing entirely for someone to sit down and go, let me show you in a tangible way what the truth is and how it feels. That's what the altar was. You see, God had done this amazing thing where he had set his enslaved people free. And he had said over and over again, in so many ways, you are special to me. But then he also said, look, you got to live in right relationship with me, and right relationship with each other, and right relationship with, crea with creation. He explained all of that. But what happened at the altar and what happened after God had the altar and Moses had the altar constructed is that God described what, what came to be known as offerings and sacrifices that were embodied ways of knowing the truth about God. And so God instructed around about half a dozen different offerings where people would come to this altar, follow specific instructions to not just hear words that say, hey, God loves you and he expects to, for you to live in right relationship with you and, and each other, but there were things that would happen at this altar that would drive that point home. And so it looked like a barbecue because guess what? Things got burned up on the altar. And in the Old Testament, uh, the writers explain, like sometimes you need to bring an animal. Sometimes you need to bring some grain, sometimes some oil, sometimes uh, all variety of different types of sacrifices that would essentially remind you of what your relationship with God was supposed to be like and what your relationship with each other was supposed to be like, especially, particularly, when something got twisted out a little bit in that relationship. Anybody ever had, like, a relationship go sideways with another person? You know, you can speak the words, you know, I need your forgiveness. You can say, I'm sorry. Sometimes you need to do something a little more. Sometimes you need to show that, that it's not just words you're speaking, but there's something deeper. The, the altar provided a way for people to do that. When something got twisted with each other, they would bring a specific altar, uh, offering that was instructed and they would bring it to the altar and essentially, you know, it would be placed on the altar and it would be burned up as a way to embody the knowledge. Something got twisted and now something is being fixed, not necessarily through the actual practice of the altar, it's a reminder and so if you, read, if you read Leviticus, which is where most of the instructions come, um, there are two really uh, essential elements to bringing an offering. So essentially what you had to do is you had to bring something to the priests, these people, these guys, all, always, unfortunately, and they would take it and they would prepare to burn it up on the altar. But before you did that, for some of the offerings especially, you had to lay your hands once again on whatever it is you brought. If it was an animal, a bird, a, some kind of, you had to put your hands on that item. Do you know why? Because you had to identify with it. 
You had to symbolically own it. You had to say, this thing is mine and what it represents is mine. The way that I got a little bit out of whack, that's me. You had to, in other words, own what you brought to the altar. You could not sacrifice what wasn't yours. You couldn't stand in the back of the room if somebody brought like a pigeon up and be like, oh, ditto for me. If somebody else brought an animal, you'd be like, hey, me too. Tack me onto that thing. The thing about the altar is that you had to own, you had to own it. You had to bring it up and say, I'm, I'm putting this thing here. I'm giving it as a represent, representation that I, I need to make things right. And I need to be reminded that God has, you know, he wants the best for me. He wants the best for me and other people. And, and I got it wrong and I'm, I'm owning this. It's mine. It's mine. You cannot give at an altar what you do not own. And then the other reality of the altar, because it's fire, that once you give it, you have to be prepared for that thing to go away. Do you not? It gets burned up. So what you brought to the altar, you shouldn't really have the expectation of like, hey, um, is there going to be anything left over after this is all done? Because... I might want to take that back. Whatever you brought to the altar, you had to be prepared for. It was going away. And so there are, like I said, multiple different types of offerings that would remind us of multiple different types of realities that we have to live in with God. But most of it just boils down to those things of like, hey, are you living in right relationship with God? And are you living in right relationship with other people? And when you're not, maybe you need to be reminded that, hey, I got it wrong, and I can sort of get it right again, and I need to make this thing right. And it's very critical, before we move on, it's very critical that we remember one thing. This all happened after God had set people free. This happened after the freedom. So what that says is that God doesn't say, look, bring all these sacrifices, and if you bring enough, then I'll set you free. Because guess what? God already did it. He said, you're free already. These are reminders of how I expect you to live in light of that freedom. Clear? Clear? Okay, all right. Well, if, if we're clear, so where we're at in this series um, is we're going through 12 words, 12 concepts of something I'm calling essential spirituality. Uh, I was listening to something this week, and they, they prompted my thinking again about what we're trying to get at. And there's something out there called design thinking. If you're a programmer or, or an interior designer or an architect, you might have heard this term. Design thinking. Design thinking essentially says, look, if you're going to create something, it has to fill a need or solve a problem. And we think this is one of these things, this is kind of like a, this duh thing. But actually, when you, when you appropriate design thinking, it really switches the way you tackle a problem. It, it changes the way you approach a problem because you start with the end in mind. You're like, 
I need to accomplish this. Now let's reverse engineer what we're doing. And the premise I'm offering you guys is that like what we experience as faith and spirituality and religion is designed by God to accomplish a purpose and to fill a need. And you actually, uh, I've, I've shared this before, but I don't know if you guys know this, but the word religion is related in Latin to the word religio. Ligaments, everybody ever heard the word ligaments? Like they're inside, they connect things, they connect tissue to each other. It's the same premise. Religion, literally in Latin, is related to the idea of reconnection. And so design thinking says, in my world, that God gave us faith, spirituality, religion to reconnect us with him, with each other, and with ourselves. That's what faith should do. And if it's not, I would say examine your faith. Because God is not interested in punishing people. He's not interested in having us be worse human beings. He would really like us to be better human beings because the world needs better human beings. Amen? So, everything we do, these words that we've been exploring, uh, we started off with powerless. We, we went to hope. We went to trust. These are moves and words and concepts that I believe are designed to get us to, to actually engage with spirituality in a way that solves problems in our lives, that reconnects us with God, reconnects us with each other, and reconnects us with ourselves. So a few weeks ago, we, we got into this, this little uh, section of these words, and the word was self-honesty. And uh, I've heard from a few of you guys that downloaded the PDF and did that assessment that we offered to you guys. Some people said it was really, really challenging, but it was really, really helpful and fruitful. And so then we moved last week to the idea of confession. So self-honesty, the fourth word, fifth word, confession. If you haven't done the self-honesty assessment, it's still up on my E3. You can find it. Do that if you haven't done it. But it, today, we're going to look at the idea of rele release. That's the word. Self-honesty, which is really looking at yourself and going, man, what is inside of me that is interfering with my life, that is interfering with my connection with God, other people, and myself? What's the stuff, if you guys remember, in your garage sale? And then last week, Pastor Mark walked us through the idea of, like, confessing that. Naming it, telling it, which really has the effect of leveling our pride. And today we're going to talk about releasing it. Name it, tell it, release it. And I'm just going to talk about what that looks like and what that could maybe, why it's hard to do that and what is on the other side of that. I watched a movie a couple weeks ago called Everything Must Go. Anybody ever heard of this movie? It stars Will Ferrell in a dramatic role. And uh, he, the, the premise of the movie is just that he's a guy, he loses his job, he's struggling with uh, alcohol, and uh, he comes home from getting fired and his wife has left him and taken everything he owns and put it on his front yard. Kicked him out of the house, changed the locks, marriage is over, lost his job. It's this really, really brilliant metaphor of this this section of these words, because everything in Will Ferrell's life 
is on the front lawn for everybody to see. His junk, the stuff he owns, his world is out there. And it speaks to me of this section that we're in of like, hey, what is in my house? And what is holding me back and what effect is it having on my life? And what we're going to do is just, it's a great movie. Um, I think it is rated R, but the trailer's you know, not. So if you have kids, don't worry about it. We're just going to watch this trailer just to get an idea of what the movie's like. The company has decided to make a change. I've given 16 years of my life to this company. The rest of the higher-ups wanted you to have this. That should just about cover it. Give you uh, 10 bucks for that twack right there. Aren't you a little young to be drinking beers? Aren't you a little old to be drinking that slippery there? Hi, uh, are you in there? If you are, can this happen another day? So are you getting rid of your old stuff? I got fired from my job and my wife left me. If I'm honest, I saw this coming a mile away. Thanks for warning me. Gotten some complaints about someone living on their lawn. This is my corner. I'm not leaving my stuff. City of Arcadia allows a property owner to hold a yard sale for no more than five consecutive days. This buys you three days. I was thinking, uh, you might want to come work for me. You stay here and you sell a couple things. What are you offering? I'll give you bathroom and cigarette breaks as required by state law. I don't smoke. Good, great. Standing at the door of self discovery. You know, you can't live like this. Why not? It's not normal. How much for this? You want to buy that? 50 cents? I'll give you 25 cents. Yeah, I just can't do that. Once you get rid of all that stuff, you're going to feel great. Just wanted you to know uh, I'm selling it. All my stuff. Uh, feels pretty good. Are we friends? Yeah, I guess so. The other kids make jokes. They say, you're so fat, you got shocks on your toilet seat. That's mean. You have a good heart, Nicholas. That doesn't change. How much have you had to drink? In my opinion, not enough. You're going to have to come with me. I want to learn to play baseball. Why don't you want to play soccer? Black people don't play soccer. Whole continents of black people play soccer. So it's really a great movie, but it also is very powerful with the stuff that we're talking about because literally it is a fable of what it means to have all your stuff put out in front of the world for everybody to see. And let's be honest, the stuff that we carry around with us, we think we hide it from the world, but how many of you guys would agree that the world probably knows your stuff a little bit more than you think that they know your stuff? Anybody? I guess not. It's been my experience that what I think I'm hiding from the world, a lot of people are like, oh, no, Eric, we've known that about you for a while. Welcome to the party. <laughs> so I think if we have these moments where we, where we sit there and we look at our lives and we say, man, I have this stuff inside of me. I have this, this quality, this behavior, these thought patterns, and I know they're not healthy. I know. And we can even tell them, to somebody, but when it comes to the idea of letting them go, 
why is it so hard? When we sit there and we go, look, I know that I do this thing that causes problems with the people I care about and my problems with God and maybe my problems with myself, but I can't stop doing it. Why? I want to suggest to you, here's a reason why. Now, I'll tell you a story. So um, when I was uh, probably 12 uh, or 13 years old, um, I played soccer. My team had made it to the city championship. Uh, we were, this is in Texas when I was growing up. I was playing center back, and uh, it was the city championships. I was really tall and thin and unathletic, no surprise, but I wanted to do my best because it was the city championship. My team, I, could, I just wanted to do my best for my team. And so it was early on in the game, and uh, uh, one of their forwards got a, a, a pass, and I was like the last person between him and my goalie. And this was a city championship. So I stepped up, my little, you know, scrawny self. And uh, I, I was like, I'm going to just go in, and I'm going to stop this guy. And, you know, when I went in, and I, and I planted my foot, and my leg twisted, I ended up with a really gnarly separation of my patella. Like, you know, kind of like things, big pain, looked up, kneecap in the wrong place. You know, what's going on with that? Um, a couple years later, it happened again, playing football. Yes, I tried to play football in Texas. Silly me. <laughs> after, that sec after that second time, I had my knee scoped, you know, arthroscopic surgery. And back then, uh, for high school guys, like now, you know, when you have a pro ball player, like a scope takes maybe two weeks to recover from. But with me, it was like six, right? It was, it was a different time. I was not as physically uh, gifted as these guys are. Um, and... and and after the, the surgery, and even before the surgery, when it happened, I got, you know, a, a couple of these. I got, I got a couple of these. And so for weeks, you know, I had it, and I just hobbled around school and used it as an example to try to get some attention from the ladies, and I could be late to all my classes because, oh, you know. Um, and I hobbled around on these things for weeks because I got hurt. Because I got hurt. And then I had an operation that was supposed to fix it, but it still hurt. I had a brace and everything. And then after I had the surgery, I eventually started doing this, uh, this thing called physical therapy, which was me more like weekly torture sessions, right? Um, because here's the deal. While I was using my crutch, a couple things happened that I didn't even know about. One, muscles in my leg got really weak. They just like, just shrunk away. And the other thing that happened was that my knee got really stiff. I, I, I didn't even know until the first physical therapy session. And I sat down and, the, and the, the, the therapist, like she took my knee and she just tried to bend it. And I'm like, I'm thinking like, she's gonna break something in my knee. It literally felt like something was gonna snap. And I'm like, no, no. And then I had to do all these exercises. You see, I got hurt. I got hurt. And so I got a crutch. And I used that crutch. And I used it. And all the time that I used it, I never realized that even though it looked like it was helping me, it was making me weak. You see, we have these, I believe we have these deep needs in our lives as human beings. We all want to be 
We all want to be connected with other people. We want to know that people care about us. We want to know that our lives matter. We want to have purpose. And we want to know that we have the capacity to be better than we are today. I believe that. But we get hurt most of the time when we're young, sometimes very badly, sometimes not so badly, but we all get wounded. We all get dinged, and we're just born this way, moreover. And we start using crutches. We start using crutches. And, and I want to tell you that the three biggest crutches I know, you could put like these, there are three crutches that almost everybody uses, and they are simply this. They're pride, self-centeredness, and fear. And we all just start using them at some point in our lives, and we just hobble around on them all life long. And they look like they're helping us, and they help us get along in the world, but they're also making us weak. And the reason it is hard for us to, even if we name our stuff, even if we tell it to somebody else, when you have to throw away that crutch, a couple things are going to happen. When you do therapy, it's going to feel painful. You're going to be like, I, I, can't, I can't walk without this crutch. How can I get to my classes? How can I get the attention from the girls in eighth and sixth grade, you know? How can I get the connection I want? How can I get the purpose that I want? How can I get the idea that I can grow and improve? Well, you got to throw the crutch away because it's actually making you weak. So let me just ask you, if you don't know it's coming, here it is. What's your crutch? What is the thing, the behavior, the thought, the idea that you adapted somewhere when you were young because you got hurt? And you say, this is what I use to get around in the world. But if I asked you very honestly, you would go, yeah, it's made me weak, though. It's made me weak. To return to the idea of like design thinking before we go on, I would say that this is one of the things that spirituality and faith in Jesus does is it is designed to help us name our crutches, like be honest, and then to experience true and lasting healing. Like Jesus is therapy. That's what it is. And if you don't get it, hear it from me. I need therapy. I need spiritual therapy. And all, all of you do too. Because ain't none of you perfect. I know you. We all need therapy. So, in the New Testament, a guy named Paul writes uh, to a church in Rome these folks that are struggling and they're in therapy too. And he says, look, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, what? Bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, when you would have heard that being read, you know what you would have thought of, if, especially if you were Jewish, you had that in background, you know where you're at? 
you're back at the altar. What's the altar? It's an embodied way of knowing. What's true about God? What's true about me? What happens when things get a little sideways? How, how do I react? Well, Paul says, look, in light of God's mercy, not to earn God's mercy, but in light of what he's already done, faithful father, what compares to your great love? He says, bring your bodies to the altar. Which for what we're talking about today means bring your crutches. Bring all of your life to the altar. Because we all stand in need of being reminded of who God is and what he's done for us. And what are the realities of the altar? You cannot give what you do not own. And once you bring it, be prepared for it to go away. So name it and tell it, but then we get to release it. We get to bring our lives to the altar and say, there's a thing inside of me that has been a crutch, and I own it. It is true about me, but I can bring that to this altar. I can lay it down, and we're not going to burn anything up this morning. I would if I could. But you can lay it down and you can trust that on God's end of the deal, it's up in smoke. It's gone. Now, if you're anything like me, I forget. And sometimes I have to come back to the altar with that same thing again. But look, that's a little bit more on my end than it is on God's end. God's like, I took it. It's gone. It burned up. I need to be, remem I need to be reminded again, God, that's okay, Eric. I know you forget. So, I don't know if you caught this, but in that uh, trailer for Everything Must Go, there's a, a neighbor across the street, and he says, look, I got all this stuff. And then she looks at him, and she says, you're going to feel so good once it's all gone. The crutches you think you have, like, that's all cool, that's all good, but you're not getting around nearly as good as you think you are. And, and I get it, I get it. Like sometimes when I put my crutch away, I walked with a limp. I didn't even know I had a limp for a while. I favored my left leg. But I was on the road to really recovery. Because as long as I had the crutch, the leg wasn't getting any better. As long as I was in the crutch and in the brace, I wasn't having the therapy. So if you bring something up here to an altar and you release it, let me be clear, you might stumble. Because when you throw away crutches, you got to remember how to walk again. That's okay. That's okay. That's a part of throwing down the crutch. But you still get to release it and free yourself of it. So, band's going to come back up. We've been responding to God in various ways. I could not buy crutches for all of us. <laughs> but Band-Aids represent other kinds of wounds. And just so you know, these Band-Aids are expired, so they could not technically be used uh, in, 
in what we wanted to use them for. So we, these are, we did not buy a bunch of Band-Aids. These are excess. So here's the offer. First of all, look, what's your crutch? What is it? I already told you like the big three. Almost everything that you have as a crutch can be categorized into pride, self-centeredness, or fear. Another way the church has historically categorized crutches is in the, the big seven. Some of you guys might know them as the seven deadly sins, but they're just crutches that we get when we get hurt. Gluttony, lust, greed, pride, despair, wrath, vanity, narcissism, laziness. I think I actually threw in eight because they're so gnarly. You might know what your crutch is outside of that list, but if you need a starter, take those. Take those. What is your crutch? And are you ready to release it? Are you ready to own it? And come over here to this pretend altar and drop it. You cannot give what you don't own. But once you release it, be prepared for God to take it away. So, because this hits nerves, we have some folks in our community that are going to be here to pray for you. I mean, sometimes this stuff is hard. Uh, so there'll be somebody over here, a couple people back by the tech booth back there. You need help walking up here with your crutch. You can come and just say, man, I need help. Pray with me. But if you're ready, come up here, grab a Band-Aid, name it, own it. Take it over to this altar. Lay it down. And be prepared for it to be burned up. That's the offer we have. Clean your house, and you're going to feel so good when you get rid of all this stuff. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.